Hey ladies and gents, welcome to Molecule to Market, where as always we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. My guest today is Martino Picardo, who is the chairman at Discovery Park. I've known of Martino for over 10 years actually, and I've come across him at various events and conferences and uh, watched his career span uh, you know various kind of uh, versions if you like and he is a, a fascinating character that has spent uh, you know decades in in the life science industry uh, on today's episode martino talks about his kind of three careers in one uh, he started life in academia and then talks about how he joined the kind of dark side of the industry and that kind of combined experience led him to kind of becoming the interface of academia and an industry and and ultimately led him to the majority of his career which has been to uh, nurture incubator spaces and uh, innovation within life science and in terms of drug development uh, but also within the supply chain as well he talks uh, really interestingly about kind of what it takes to build these thriving communities and talks in detail about the achievements at the uh, Stevenage Bioscience Catalyst, which is now very uh, well known across the world as a you know, real center for excellence in cell and gene therapy. Uh, he was the first CEO there and started with a blank piece of paper. And it's a really fascinating achievement to see what they managed to build there. And onto what he does today at Discovery Park, which is in a different part of the UK, which now is uh, is helping 160 plus companies uh, in that part of the world off an old Pfizer R&D site. And uh, yeah, he's a, he's a fascinating character and, you know, his experience is, is truly phenomenal. And he speaks very passionately about the life science sector and entrepreneurship in the kind of uh, ecosystem that we live in. And, and for background, uh, you know, he is chairman of Discovery Park and, and now works as an independent consultant. And he does actually have a PhD in biochemistry uh, and spent some time in the US and the UK uh, before working for Amersham. Uh, he, you know, he's really been uh, a real catalyst for development, as I mentioned, at the Stevenage Bioscience Catalyst. Uh, and, you know, taking that from a concept to uh, an incubator and accelerator, and it's now as I said, you know, renowned as a as a world class science park. He's also a former entrepreneur in residence at UMIP Manchester and the NHS. He's also on the board of BioNow and as chairman of Visual Nano and Evidential, two other startup uh, companies in the UK. I hope you enjoy today's episode. Um, as always, you know, give us some feedback, uh, leave a nice review. If there's any guests that you'd like us to get on the podcast, get in touch and we'll try our best to do so. Thank you as always and enjoy today's show. Hey, Martino, welcome to the show. Hi, Raman. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Likewise. And uh, Martino, you know, you're someone that I've had the pleasure at seeing uh, facilitating uh, roundtables and being interviewed on stage at, at conferences. So it's fun for me to be on the other side and <laughs> interviewing interviewing you today. And, and just, to, just to start off with, Martino, it would be great to give our listeners a bit of a feel for, for you and your background and how you ended up in the industry and, and kind of where you kind of, or how you got to where you are today. You've got a really 
interesting, eclectic kind of background. And yeah, so, you know, wax lyrical about the kind of journey that you've been on to, to date. Yeah, certainly happy to do that, Raman. And just for your benefit, I, it's still something I struggle to explain to my mother and my family exactly what I do and how I got here. But let's have a go, shall we? <laughs> I, um, I, um, I, I feel like I've had three careers, really. One initially was an academic career coming out of uh, having had a degree at the University of Manchester in biochemistry. I then went on to do a PhD at the University of Cardiff. And then really importantly, in terms of my development, I took a big risk and went out to Houston in Texas to do a postdoctoral research fellowship on a Welsh foundation, quite a prestigious uh, scholarship award. Uh, in a cardiovascular heart research environment and was really looking forward to staying in the States and uh, and pursuing a cardiovascular research academic career. But for one reason or another, partly for being homesick and missing my family and most importantly, missing Manchester, that, you know, I really felt it was time to come home rather than go down the green card and stay on a 10-year faculty position at Baylor, which would have been good as well. But I don't regret not having done that because what I did when I came back was I pretty much immediately went into the dark side and into industry. And as somebody who wanted to pursue an academic career, I really felt there was no value other than a good salary to going into industry. But boy, was I wrong. And I joined Amersham International and I went from the bench developing uh, new screening techniques, new assays, tests for, for high throughput screening into management of com- uh, people that were doing that and got the opportunity to do a lot more on the commercial side in what's called technology transfer, transferring the technology we were developing into big pharma like Pfizer and AstraZeneca and GSK, all the big guns. And boy, was it exciting, doing a lot of traveling, Uh, learning a lot about what it takes to translate science into real viable commercial products that not only make money, but make a difference. And out of all that work came new drugs for for cardiovascular, for statins, against G-protein receptors, for cancer. So it was a really exciting time to be there. And I stayed in industry to the point where Amersham merged with a Swedish company called Pharmacia, they became Amisham Pharmacia, and I became a science director, one of four global science directors for the company, and very much a senior management role, and really exciting looking at the next generation of products for the company and the next generation of science that was being developed all around the world to replace radioactivity with non-radioactive labeling techniques. So it was really exciting time. But again, I got itchy feet after nine years in Amersham. Amersham Pharmacia was about to be acquired by GE, General Electric. That company felt too big for me, didn't suit my style and my desire and my drive. And so I went home. I went home to Manchester. And the reason I went home was because a certain professor at the University of Manchester called Mark Ferguson was developing an incubator at the University of Manchester, one of the first of its kind. I didn't know what it was, but he said to me, listen, it's time you came home and I think you'll really enjoy starting new businesses and creating new programs around new science that could be commercially translated. 
And the next thing I knew, I was a business development manager there, looking at university intellectual property and converting that into startups that would get investment and go on to develop the next generation drugs. And so that's the academic and the industry. And all of a sudden now with the incubator, I'm right at the interface between academia and industry. And that's where I've been for the last 25 years, really. Firstly, at the University of Manchester as managing director of UMIC, the University of Manchester incubator company. And then I got the opportunity to move to Stevenage to create. I was the first employee and employer as CEO, but to create a company that would develop an incubator and a grow on and a facility on the GSK site at Stevenage. And that was in 2010, 11. And uh, the excitement that we generated around this open innovation campus. And, you know, to cut a long story short, ten, eight, nine years later, the site was full, full of companies that were getting investment and developing new drugs. And all of a sudden, it was a world leading center for cell and gene therapy. And again, I got wrestling. I don't know what's wrong with me. This is what happens to me, <laughs> Raman. But I got itchy feet again. And I thought, well, you know, how much more can you do here? And isn't it time to step out and give someone else a chance to put their own flavor on? And I think that's something that's been a recurrent theme in my career that I've always had a good feel on when to step out, when to move out and what gives someone else a chance. And Again, to cut a long story short, the, the the CEO that took over me has done, she's done a, an outstanding job in developing what we started into a really good ecosystem that is truly a world-leading center on in cell and gene therapy. So t- stepped out in 2017, really thought, well, you know, maybe I should step out and write a book. But... <laughs> And that was not possible because all of a sudden I was doing consultancy work as an entrepreneur in residence at the University of Manchester, also for the NHS, the Central Manchester Trust in Manchester. Again, looking at startups, looking at new science that could be translated into commercial products. Obviously, my sweet spot and obviously something that I really enjoy. And again, to cut a long story short, all of a sudden I'm being invited to become chairman of Discovery Park and a really interesting chairman mentor role between myself and the CEO, which I really have enjoyed since 2018 and continue to enjoy. And that's led to a couple of other chairman mentor roles with a biotech startup company called Visus Nano, developing new treatments for cataracts and a, a, a virtual reality augmented reality company, believe it or not, called Evidential, based in Manchester, a real good friend, a CEO. But all three of those, Discovery Park, Visus Nano and Evidential, are real chairman mentor roles. A chance to give back some of my experience to some of those early stage startups and early stage CEOs that that just value the experience. You're not telling them how to do things. You're just sharing your experience and offering advice. And, you know, the mentor role is really as a sound. You're almost like a shrink, Raman. You're almost dealing with their day-to-day ails and, and, and problems and telling them to get back on their horse and get going again. And don't worry, it'll all be all right on the night. So getting them towards investment and getting them to being viable companies and then stepping out. That's incredible. The kind of uh, the 
experience that you've had um, in, in your career and I love the kind of itchy feet and you clearly have a, a thirst for um, innovation and entrepreneurship and I suppose making a difference. I love to, uh, something you said actually, you know, translating science into commercial entities that make a difference. Uh, I'm probably butchering what you said, but you know, the essence of that I think has been clear in your your career today that that's the thing that seems to to drive you is taking these really fantastic interesting companies and helping yeah. them you know what raman yeah i agree and it, it's also been really validated by what we've all had to experience over the last 12 18 months with pandemics and the development of vaccine it's in 18 months rather than the 10 to 12 years and you know what drives us all i think in life sciences is making a difference what we call patient benefit. We yeah. want to do something that involves making it easier, making it better for the patient in whatever disease and whatever tool or whatever drug or whatever technology we're developing. You know, it's, it's, it creates a buzz and a nice, warm, cosy feeling when you say, I had a part in that. No, I, I think you're absolutely right. And, and pause that thought because I'm going to come back to vaccine development and COVID and also... Um, the mentoring aspect that you mentioned, I think that's a really super interesting area to to go a bit deeper. Before I do that, I mean, I'd love to get your thoughts on, you, you started talking about the uh, Stevenage kind of uh, the bioscience catalyst, which is what I believe it was called, was, and Stevenage actually becoming a real center for cell and gene therapy. And it's something a, a previous uh, kind of guest mentioned. It wasn't something I I was aware of. So it'd be great if you can paint a picture of what that looks like today or, you know, and the impact that that is having on, on the industry. And then kind of second part of that question, a similar question, but specific to the discovery park, you know, for our listeners that you know have never even heard of the discovery park, paint a picture of, you know, where it is, what it does and, and how it adds, adds value to, to companies in the sector. Yeah. Lots of questions there. So let me take them <laughs> one by one by one. I guess, you know, I arrived in 2010 and 2011. It was really a journey into the unknown. And it was a joint venture in Stevenage at the GlaxoSmithKline site. So they had over 3,000 R&D staff developing drugs already, particularly around respiratory drugs, drugs to, to make it easier to breathe or to, to against lung disorders. And they wanted to test a hypothesis that said if you build an incubator and or a grow on space next to one of the biggest pharmaceutical companies in the world, does it make the blindest bit of difference to how we develop and deliver our drugs? And that was the mandate and the hypothesis that we were testing. Joint venture between the Wellcome Trust and GlaxoSmithKline set up a company called SBC, the Stevenage Bioscience Catalyst. I was the first CEO. And I really had a blank sheet of paper and two empty buildings. And really, you know, how you go about attracting companies to Stevenage when you've got, you're right in the middle of the Golden Triangle and people prefer to go to Oxford or London or Cambridge. That was a, the challenge initially. And we got over it and we managed to create relationships. And that's the key message. It's about building partnerships and collaborations Cambridge University, with Imperial, with University College London, with the University of Hertfordshire locally. And that brings entrepreneurs and people in. And so your supply chain has 
academia through those universities I've mentioned, and then you've got the biggest farmer in the world. And guess what? All the entrepreneurs in the startups desperately want to either work with or sell their product to big pharma. That's the end of the, that's the holy grail because only big pharma can take the, the drug all the way through because it's so expensive. About two, three years in, we got the opportunity to bid for a what's called a catapult. So catapults were set up by government. They were meant to be centers of excellence in specialized areas. And this one was in the cell and gene therapy area. We did a great job on the bid. We convinced the people that were going to move into the catapult that Stevenage would be all right, only 20 minutes down the road from London, half an hour from Cambridge, middle of the Golden Triangle. You can see I'm a salesman, can't you? And (laughs) I think you have to have that element of how can I sell something that is not yet fully developed that you buy into it and then you come in and help us to shape it. And that's what the promise was. And they came in and then all of a sudden you're starting to get cell and gene therapy startups, you know, this completely new way of developing new drugs, not based on chemistry or small molecules, but actually based on things that are actually already in the human being already, like stem cells or genes. So completely radical new way. And then what ecosystem culture development is all about is three things. People, having the right infrastructure and having access to money. And those were the things that we, me and my team built on, building that people network, entrepreneurs, experienced, gray-haired mentors like myself, bringing some diversity, more and more females into the management and the board structures, practice what you preach, as I say, get the diversity in early and then people can't argue with you. And it just created this wonderful environment. And there has been, to date, over £1 billion of investment in the companies at Stevenage. It's a roaring success. And, you know, no I in team, not down to me alone. I had a great team. And as I said, the new CEO or the CEO that took over me and took from me in 2018, she has done a fantastic job in building on what we started. And now it's a self-fulfilling prophecy. So... When I stepped out and I was approached by Discovery Park, Discovery Park is based in Kent. And guess what? Discovery Park up until 2016 was the home of Pfizer. Pfizer R&D in the UK was entirely based at Sandwich. Until in 2016, the North American management from Pfizer decided that they would move all their R&D out of Discovery Park and keep just the clinical development and manufacturing there. So that left a big hole, lots of empty buildings. And since 2016, 17, we've been building that community that I tried to describe at Stevenage, but not focusing on cell and gene therapy because we don't want to duplicate or reinvent the wheel from what's already happening elsewhere in the UK. We've created our own value proposition. We know that we're clearly differentiated. We have lots of space, lots of buildings, and we want to create this manufacturing village for new drugs, new treatments, new medical devices. And again, to cut a long story short, there's always a lot of hard sweat and blood and tears in the background when you describe these things that just goes, falls by the wayside. But trust me, there was, and there has been a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And there are now over 160 companies alongside 
what's left of Pfizer there. And we want to keep growing that community and we want to keep bringing innovative companies into that park and into that site. And the advantage we have is that we can take you as a company from a startup all the way through to when you're ready to scale up and manufacture your drug, your device, and the expertise is still there from Pfizer that you can access. So back to my people, infrastructure and money, holy trilogy, as we create the culture and the ecosystem at Discovery Park in Kent, in Sandwich, those are the three things that we're focusing on. Bringing the people, bringing, we already have the infrastructure to die for in terms of lab space, and you'll probably be aware there's such a, a demand for lab space at the moment, and that's on the back of the, what's happening with COVID, pandemics, and vaccines, and I'm sure we'll come on to talk about that, but the good news is Discovery Park is on even keel, growing fast, lots of companies interested, and we want to keep that innovation, entrepreneurship, entrepreneurial culture going. And in terms of location, we're on the HS2 line straight into Europe, which may or may not be a good thing as we go through Brexit and beyond, but also less than an hour from London and an hour and a half from Stevenage and Cambridge. So it's it's a pretty fine location. And then something we haven't talked about yet, when we talk about Manchester and Stevenage and Kent now, the there has to be the quality of life attractiveness for young studs and bucks to come to the park and set up their businesses. They want they want things where they can settle themselves, future families, you know, having a, a working and a living environment that is balanced. And that's what we're all striving for, that quality of life, work-life balance. And it's so hard, Ravan. Yeah, no, I, I think that's a really good point. And some of the locations that you've mentioned haven't been to, to many of them. I can, you know, if I'm our listener, they're all good locations for not just uh, building a career in a business, but also for, you know, your family as well and the kind of uh, the personal side of your life. And legacy is not a word that we generally use on the podcast, but you must look at, you know, you mentioned obviously a, a billion pounds worth of investment in companies in, you know, it's Stevenage and the uh, the kind of achievements that have been done or, or the achievements that have been accomplished you know, there and also what you're doing now, obviously at the the Discovery Park, albeit in a more uh, mentor role. Do you ever sit back and look at what you've been able to achieve? Not necessarily just for yourself, but almost like an enabler. It's really interesting. You know, you were at Stevenage with a blank piece of paper, and and you know, obviously credit to the new CEO who's come in a few years ago and and taken it further. But you must sit back with an element of pride of of what you've been able to achieve not just investment but i'm thinking more the job creation the uh you know impact on local communities in those areas it must be an incredibly satisfying kind of look back on that that kind of part of your career well you know you're gonna to have to wait for the book i'm afraid but uh, <laughs> you know for me personally it, right now it's not about looking back it's you know the the reason I'm still working at the ripe old age of blah, 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 you know is because <laughs> you know I I'm still enjoying and I feel like I'm still learning and Discovery Park is a different challenge to Stevenage and Stevenage was a different challenge 
to Manchester. And, and that's a really important point that I want to stress, that when you create these ecosystems, this entrepreneurial culture, they're all a function of the location that you put them in. They're all different. Kent is a rural location and with lovely seaside. Stevenage is not. And Manchester definitely isn't. It's much more of the, you know, the urban environment, the city culture. And people are, tra- are attracted. And that's, you know, what we as Science Park community must do is never compete with each other and make our offering and leave it to the customer, the tenant, the entrepreneur to decide what fits best for them in terms of where they're at. And I'm really strong on that. I really believe that we as a Science Park incubator community must not compete and i've done a lot about that but let me just share an anecdote in terms of legacy with you the proudest moment of my life and i mean that was when i got the opportunity before the incubator a new building that we put up in manchester was opened after sunday lunch at my mum and dad's i got them in the car and i took them down and i i walked them around i nearly killed them because it's big buildings but I have never been so proud when they were sat in the office and they were knackered, <laughs> they were really tired, but they were incredibly proud. And, you know, dad said, oh, my God, I think I get it now. I think I know how you got here. And, <laughs> and that, you know, that because I, I really had a problem saying, you know, I'm a PhD in biochemistry, but I do buildings and I do people and I do ecosystems. So it's very difficult to explain how your life journey takes you and gets you to this point. But the book will explain how it how it all makes sense to me in the long run. And the final chapter's not yet written, I don't think. No, well, we're certainly looking forward to that. And you've you've probably got lots of stories to tell. And even that anecdote there about your parents and the pride that they have in you is is a really beautiful moment uh, and something that I've obviously very we appreciate you sharing with us today as well. You're listening to Molecule to Market where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. I was going to ask as well about, um, you know, mentoring is something you mentioned at the start. And, you know, with someone with your level of experience, and it's interesting because you don't necessarily have an entrepreneurial background yet you strike me as someone that understands entrepreneurs in my reading of you, having, having heard you speak, having met you, having obviously spoken to you today, you seem to understand the pressure of, of entrepreneurs. So I'm curious as to where that comes from, you know, is that something that comes from your family, but you know, and all that kind of thing, but also just, you know, you know, what does mentoring look like for you today? I understand you do it for many companies and what makes a good mentor and a bad mentor. Cause we have listeners that are, you know, at stages that different stages of their career, but many of which will be no doubt on the lookout for, you know, a mentor. And I'm sure they would get great advice from you in terms of what, what they should be, should be looking for. Yeah. I mean, part of the answer to that is careful what you wish for, Uh, but I'll come on to that because I do have a bee in my bonnet about what mentoring looks like across the UK. Well, let's, let's come back to that. The, one of the things I always say at this stage, Raman, is that without a shadow of doubt, my family, my culture, part Italian, part British, having been abroad, having experienced industry, been on the dark side and realised it wasn't so dark, uh, having had that academic career, you know, it, what it enables you to do is to be at the interface. So with one breath, you can talk to the academic about the science in scientific terms. 
But then you can turn around, vault fast, turn around and talk to the commercial person and explain why it's such a good business opportunity. And that's what the entrepreneur learns, you know, that they've not only got to have a slide deck full of all the science and how great it is, but it's also got to have some insight into what value, what patient benefit, why it's different. So I see myself as a dating agent, Raman. <laughs> so, you know, my, my network now is such that if I'm talking, if you're the entrepreneur and you share with me that, you know, what you really need is, then I very often will say, well, you know, I, I'm not the right person to do that, but I can get you in front of either a people person who can teach you about leadership or management or how to recruit staff, or I can get you someone who's been through a commercial line with something similar but different to you, but they have the experience of how to get it through research, development, and to products. And that, you know, the entrepreneur doesn't really, with all due respect, when they're at the very early stages, they're just scrambling and they're just trying to develop the science a little bit further and they're not really exposing themselves enough to entrepreneur mentors who can provide that guidance. Now, this is the bee in my bonnet bit, okay? Are you ready? Ready, absolutely. Yeah, okay. So I gen, gen, this is a personal view, but I genuinely believe that the mentoring across the UK, particularly in the life sciences, is lumpy at best in terms of the quality. And there are far too many generational people let's let's be polite who you know the gray hairs and the no and the no hairs a lot like me but slightly different in personality in that it's too much about them and they're not offering guidance they're actually telling the entrepreneur what to do and nobody gains from that so you know i i'm i'm striving all the time to improve the quality of mentorship and that's a two-way thing. You need the mentors to buy into what you're trying to do, but you need the entrepreneur to understand that the mentor is not there to do it for you. They're there to give you guidance and then make sure, and this is the analogy I use, if you make a mistake, it's more like grazing your knee and you put a sticking plaster on it and you get back on the horse and you get on with it and you don't break your neck and it's not a fatal mistake. That, to me, is what a mentor, a good mentor should be doing. I think that's great, great kind of advice. And what it, on a practical level, what does, you know, if you're mentoring someone, how often do you speak to them? How often do you meet them? Or is it more almost on the, is the emphasis more on the, the individual to kind of seek you out as and when they need? I'm just curious to, you know, to, to know kind of how, what, what you have seen work really, really well. Yeah, and, and it's all of the above that you've just mentioned. But I, I think, you know, very specifically, it can go from what I call first hour free, pro bono. Somebody will email me or somebody will introduce them to me and they'll send me a slide deck and a summary and that will lead to a conversation and that conversation will lead to some actions that they will go off and do and I may never hear from them again. But if they come back and they say, well, actually, we, we really, really could do with a bit more help how would you feel about becoming a board member or an interim chair or helping in a bit more of a formal way? So it very often starts as informal pro bono, you know, dating agent. I can't help you, but let me introduce you to or I think you need, you, you know, you could do with doing some of this. What do you think? No, that kind of relationship, of, of uh, you know, it's about building a relationship and it's all about empathy for me. 
entirely about empathy. I could be the best mentor in the world, but if I don't get on with you and you don't get on with me, there's no value to be had there. So there's a bit of honesty and integrity that says, I think I can help them from the mentor, but I don't really get on with them or I don't think they get on with me. And that, you know, that happens all the time because, you know, somewhere in there is that being my bonnet about, I think they should be doing this and they're not listening to me and why aren't they doing this? And that's not the way it should be. It should be a two-way. Mentoring is a two-way thing. Mentoring Mentors should be learning from each experience and each entrepreneur. And, and it's a good time to mention that Discovery Park is just setting up a reactive program. And that involves having mentors with each of the successful applicants as they go through the program and learn about people, infrastructure and money and how to scale up. And, you know, the mentors that we've assigned are all friends. So they trust me and I trust them. They understand the first part will be pro bono. But, you know, if the relationship builds to a point where we hope it does, then the company, the entrepreneur will pay to have them on board because they can see a value and they can see a positive outcome coming out of it. So, it, you know, the, the hard bit is how do you monitor and track all of that while it's going on? Yeah, no, that's really interesting. And uh, you, you mentioned like the, so the the latter chapters, if you like, of your career, you know, in preparation f- for the book. Do you miss doing the doing? If that makes sense, you know, obviously you're you're in a much more advisory sounding board type uh, stage of your career, and clearly you're enjoying it. But I, I I'm always curious, like you know, someone who's probably been very hands on for the bulk of their career. Uh, do you miss that part of it as well? Yeah, well, you know, I, I actually volunteered for the, one of the lighthouses in Manchester just to go back in the lab and use my scientific experience again, but I was told I was too old, Raman. So anyway, um, but, you know, I, I tell everyone I used to be a scientist, but more importantly, and this is the real what floats my boat, it's the first starting engagement is always about the quality of the science. You need to understand the science and how it can make a difference before you even get to, but is there a market? Is there a commercial opportunity? Who would you license to? Who would you sell to? You've got to really believe in the science that it is game-changing or disruptive in some way before you can even start to do the due diligence on the other pieces. No, that's that's great. And uh, it's it, yeah, it must be great for your kind of uh mentorees if that's the right word to to be able to have you as a as someone to to get advice from and i'm just going to kind of switch gears a little bit because we have another 5 minutes or so left of of the interview and i wanted to talk about uh covid and the impact of of the pandemic on the industry and how that's accelerating things before i do that i did actually have one question i wanted to ask you given your experience uh, if you could go back and give your 25-year-old self some advice, what, what advice would you would you give them, Martino? Well, that's easy, Raman. You know, the dark side is not as dark as you think it is. <laughs> and, and, you know, I, and I use that. I use myself as an example with people who are wor- worrying about careers in academia where they can't get grant funding or they can't get tenure positions. You know, open your eyes, open your mind, to the possibility that a career in industry 
might be, you know, accessible and enjoyable. And then, you know, what I'm trying to encourage is for people to go backward and forward, not just see it as an all or nothing. You should be able to go academia industry back again or vice versa. No, I think that's a, that's a really interesting perspective. And uh, so let's talk about COVID. And you mentioned patient benefit earlier on. And, you know, how is how has the pandemic impacted the Discovery Park? And also just interested to get your thoughts on how it's impacted the supply chain, drug development generally, and, and whether it's set a precedent for drug development going forward in terms of expectations around timings and how quick we can get drugs to market. Yeah. Okay. So a couple of prefaces. The first one is there's never been a better time to be in life sciences. And, you know, for the very, very first time, not only government, but also the layperson, the community, the people can see the value of how science can make a difference to patient benefit. You know, all those government minister briefings where that we were told we'll be led by the science and, you know, the actual translation and preparation of a vaccine in 12 to 18 months when we all knew it was going to take 10 years and initially Patrick Valance was saying we can't get our hopes up you know for some of the the diseases we can't get a vaccine you know we don't have a proper vaccine for malaria and things like that so managing expectations but the other preface and the other caveat is and this is important for molecules to market actually because I don't believe that we as scientists do a good enough job in articulating the value of science to the community. We're just not able to not talk in three-letter acronyms and, you know, really... And I'm not talking about dumbing down. I'm talking about the way it's been done for COVID and the vaccines. So there's a real lesson to be learned about how we as scientists articulate the value of the work we do. And if we can't do that, we've got a problem. So... Let's come back to COVID and the impact. You know, terrible, terrible times for all of us. Having to furlough staff at Discovery Park and other science parks has been a nightmare, quite frankly. But, you know, the staff that we've got have been remarkable in keeping the site open. And we were, we were, we were categorised as important enough to be open because Pfizer were there developing the, the vaccine, right? And not only that, but the Vaccines Task Force were asking us about plots of land for vaccine manufacture in the future. So we learned a lot about the importance of manufacturing in the UK, not relying on supply chains from Europe and the Far East in future, because there will be future pandemics and there will be future needs for vaccines. And, you know, the guys in Oxford that did the job with the the Oxford vaccine with AstraZeneca and the Pfizer-BioNTech guys, quite remarkable. And some of the science that that is based on is super exciting for future vaccines and will be relevant for future vaccines. But we've learned a lot about the supply chains. The impact on the NHS, Raman, has just been quite remarkable. My brother's a GP and he will tell you that transformation, things that they were trying to do in converting the NHS medical records, staff records, all to digital that were likely to take 10 years are now in place because of the panic, the pandemic. So NHS is a lot more digitized than it was, and thank God for that. 
And that will make a huge difference to the way that future drugs get regulated, get reimbursed and get into the NHS. So we're learning a lot. We need to keep learning more. Uh, one day there will be time for a debrief and a proper review of what's been learned and what could be done better but we've learned specifically about we've got to have manufacturing we've got to have diagnostics in our own country we can't rely on others we've got to articulate better the science and the importance of the science to patient benefit and we just need to you know the collaboration and the partnerships that were created overnight to make the lighthouse and the diagnostic centers come to life and the supply chains be recreated in the UK and not in Japan or South Korea. Quite remarkable. So if we don't learn from that, we want kicking, don't we? No, I think I think you've made some really fantastic points there in terms of uh, it's you know, fascinating what he was saying there around you know the acceleration of things happening and the digitization of the NHS. It's amazing what an emergency and the sense of urgency does to any organization, you know, when there's, <laughs> when there's critical kind of impact of, of not getting it right and not doing it quickly. And I think without the pandemic, that would have taken another decade or so to yeah. happen. So we have to take silver linings where we, where we can in, in terms of the pandemic. And, yeah. you know, I, I genuinely hope that lessons are learned around the supply chain. And you know, it's been a big focus of, the podcast interviews we've done this year and hopefully there will be a shift towards more understanding around you know where raw materials come from and how the supply chain works and maybe we'll lead to more local manufacturing but i think your your perspective on that is is fascinating and yeah raman i just want to finish on a more positive note and yeah, just say, good as i was just about to ask yeah. you yeah no, <laughs> we really you're a very, you're a very yeah. positive upbeat guy and i certainly wouldn't want to finish the conversation now i was going to ask you about you know you, you are a, a real uh, a bundle of energy in terms of what you have brought to the industry, particularly the UK. And, you know, give us some, you know, positivity. I love what you said around, you know, there's not a better, it's no, there's no better time to work in the life science industry, which I, I absolutely agree with. But, you know, you know, for our audience listening, you know, what, any, any final thoughts for them or any kind of hope for the future around, you know, tr any, any interesting even trends and things yeah. that you or, or things that you expect to happen, uh, you know, going forward? Well, you know, coming out of the, the pandemic and the crisis, you know, the boy, do we do a crisis well. You know, we we reacted positively and quickly. Some people say not quickly enough. I believe we, we reacted very quickly. And out of that came some really positive collaborations and partnerships. And out of that, the now pending digitization of the NHS. But I want to give some hope to the, our future young books and entrepreneurs as well. You know, we everybody's talking about a skills gap. But, you know, I the entrepreneurs I meet, they, they all want to work for themselves. And I think there's never been more opportunities to get yourself in one of these ecosystems near nearby because they're all pretty good and they all do different things but there's a great opportunity for entrepreneurs you know recreate the 80s and 90s where we had this plethora of startups and i think that will happen and i think you know the skills agenda jobs today jobs tomorrow well you know there are lots and lots of job opportunities in our science parks not just around science, but beyond that into marketing and engineering and manufacturing. And there's going to be a real need for 
young bucks who know digital and data and informatics like the back of their hand. You know, every company that I know will be screaming and they're screaming now and they're saying we can't get access to them. So get down and register for a, a course and a career opportunity <laughs> around digital and data because you'll be in demand from tomorrow. I think that's a terrific kind of place to end the conversation. You know, Martina, I was really excited to have you on as a guest on Molecule to Market and introduce you to our listeners that might have never come across you or spoken to you before in the past. And I'm uh, so very grateful that you made the time to share your experience and, uh, you know, both in academia and industry, but also that interface that you found yourself for the last few decades and, and also just the wonderful work that you've done for the life science community. I think it's uh, you're a real credit to the industry and yeah, thanks for being a guest on, on Molecule to Market. Thanks, Robin, and thanks for facilitating. And we never got to talk about football once, so well done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for our listeners, uh, uh, Martino is a big Manchester United fan, and I'm a, a big Newcastle United fan. And for, you know, at the time of recording, Man United beat my team four-one uh, a few days ago. So I was hoping to avoid that, but Martino very skillfully. Uh, <laughs> set me up for that at the end, but no, and you know, I'm certainly more optimistic about the life science sector than I, I am about the perils uh, <laughs> <about the laughs> that I find my my football club. But thanks again, Martino, for being a guest. It's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure. Pleasure, Roman. Thank you. Hi again. Thanks so much for tuning in to Molecule to Market. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find more shows on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to listen. Get in touch with us on our website, moleculetomarketpod.com, and follow us on LinkedIn or Twitter, and we will see you again next week. You're listening to Molecule to Market, where we go inside the outsourcing space of the global drug development sector. The podcast for professionals working in the pharma and biotech contract services space. Molecule to Market is sponsored and funded by Remarketing, an international content, digital, and design agency that helps companies get noticed, raise profile, and generate leads in life sciences.